real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is an accomplished indie author and host of Self-Publishing with Dale on YouTube. Since 2014, Dale pursued a full-time career in self-publishing books and now shares his experience on his YouTube channel devoted to building a successful self-publishing business. Welcome to the show, Dale. Hey, Sarah. Thank you so much. You know, I was a fan of your stuff and I didn't know it. We had stumbled over each other, think through podcastguests.com and I saw Frugapreneur and I was like, that sounds like my jam. I like saving money. That's one of my favorite things. So it was an instant match. You know, I don't try to go after any and every single podcast, believe it or not, but seeing yours and the opportunity now. So I was tickled to death that you would allow me to come on here and talk a little bit about saving some money and that regards of what I do in self-publishing and video content creation. Well, I'm glad to have you. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background? I know I went over a little bit in the intro, but maybe a more detailed background. Yeah, sure. Actually, I am an indie author. I had left my full-time day job in 2014 when I had launched my first book. My first paycheck I got was about $22 and some odd cents. And I said, that's enough proof of concept to believe that if I can focus all of my time, energy, and attention into this, I can make a good sustainable living at doing this. Well, you fast forward about two years into pretty much eating nothing but ramen noodles and frozen vegetables. I finally was able to make a sustainable living as an independent author, but it it was with its fair share of just headaches, heartaches, hassles, and horse manure, however you want to say it. And in that process of really learning this whole thing of self-publishing, some people started to see my success and I got a couple of interviews and naturally what's going to happen, people are going to reach out to me and they're going to say, Hey, how are you doing that? You know, how are you formatting your book? How are you promoting? How are you getting book reviews? And what ends up happening is my attention started to get drawn away from the thing that I loved most, which was writing. And I loved writing and I loved publishing. And I had to go, okay, what's the best way for me to answer everybody's questions all at the same time? Huh, YouTube, put a video together, answer the common questions, post it on up, and then we're done. And then we can focus on writing. And so that was in April of 2016 that I had started doing the channel for self-publishing with Dale. Little did I know over four years later that I would end up with well over 33,000 subscribers, a way larger following than I had as a self-published author and a much, much, much more sustainable living doing this. So that's where I stand right now. And so sometimes what I try to tell people is they're like, okay, how many books have you published? Is this going to sound crazy to you, Sarah? Hopefully you're sitting down on this one. 
I have underneath my own name, Dale L. Roberts, I've published over 40 publications. That's underneath my own name alone. But I also function as a small publishing house in that I hire freelance writers and put it underneath ghost written pen names. And I release the content as well. So I build additional brands. So I have somewhere in excess of over 200 titles, possibly more. And a probably total of publications somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000. That's including audiobooks, print books, ebooks, translations, various different rights and such. So that has taken a lot of time, energy, and attention. A lot of people will hear that and feel almost overwhelmed. Trust me. It took a lot of time. So as I said, I started back in 2014 and you fast forward to 2020. It's a good reason why I have that many publications out. Well, even in just six years, that's still a lot. My first book came out in April of 2019. It's just a little book, Frugalpreneur is what it's called. That's how I got the idea for the podcast. I was like, I'm going to launch a podcast with the book. And then I have another one called Authorpreneur. They're both under like 10,000 words. They're small. And then I'm working on one called Podcastpreneur and that'll come out later this year. So that's three books in the course of, it'll be a year and a half total. Of course, I work full time and this, that, and the other, and I have a few businesses, but still like to have, even if that's all you're doing to have 40 of your, well, 40 of your own with your name, but then sounds like hundreds total (laughs) in six years. You know, that's the thing is I I don't have a full-time job. I, I, this was all I could do. I had to succeed. And so there was no eight hour days. There was sometimes 16 hour days and seven days per week for months at a time. There was sometimes just no rest, no break and such like that. So yeah, anybody who's listening to be like, that's impossible. It's possible if that's all you focus on and you start to build out a team and a system and a workflow that you're able to get through those type of things. But you know, you got to give yourself some credit, Sarah, is you have a full-time job and you're able to accomplish two publications with the third in the works. That's stellar. I mean, you're essentially carrying two full-time jobs, essentially. So you know, I'm not sure how you're getting any sleep, by the way, but uh, <laughs> kudos to you nonetheless. Thank you. So what topics do you write about? I'm curious. I actually do fitness. I did did fitness. I am right now in the midst of doing a major pivot. My last fitness publication came out sometime in 2016, 2017. So I've been just really promoting the heck out of those things. But my heart has kind of shifted from the love of fitness. I still love exercise and such and health and fitness and such. But I feel like after 40 publications, I don't know that I'm going to be able to put out another book about (laughs) push-ups. I really don't. Uh, So my heart has shifted over towards trying to teach people about the modern day self-publishing model and how accessible it is and how much it has changed since the days of your weird uncle who has a pallet full of erotica books printed out inside his garage that he wants to give you a free copy of. (laughs) It's no longer that, although your weird uncle probably still does that. But nowadays, you know, the modern day self-publishing model is so much different. And that's what I want to try to build awareness of. And I'm hoping that if I can just equip some aspiring authors with the right information so they can realize some of their lifelong dreams of publishing their own book and becoming a published author, then that's awesome. That's what I'm shooting for in this whole thing. And I know you have a course, I believe, on audiobooks. I've thought about doing audiobooks 
doing an audiobook would be perfect for you because already you and I have been speaking to each other. I mean, gosh, I think we connected 10 minutes before we even started recording. And uh, I can already tell you that you're articulate. You can speak very well. Your reading skills, I'm not really sure uh, of that ability. But if you can still be able to give the same emotion that you are in speaking with me right now and reading your book, narrating for you should probably be a very good transition. So if there's any podcasters that are listening to this right now and you already have a publication, I would recommend that you narrate your own audiobook. If you've got the equipment, do it. It's going to take some time and there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve because it's not as simple as what podcasting is. A lot of people are probably losing their minds right now. They're like, podcasting isn't simple. I didn't say podcasting was easy, but it is a lot more detailed when it becomes an audiobook because there are specific audio specifications that platforms were you know, have like Amazon, Audible, Apple. And if you don't meet those specs, they're going to spit it back to you. So that's going to be the greatest learning curve. Now, I don't show people how to record it. I will show people how to publish the stuff. I am the last person to give you any kind of audiobook advice when it comes to narrating. I'd rather just point you in the right direction. But I would say it's just YouTube can be your friend. Do some research. You don't have to spend money. I, I, I love, okay, so now, now we're going to start talking about saving some money, baby. <laughs> Audacity is free. It's open source software. There's a lot of audiobook narrators are out there that use that. If you already have some type of a microphone, fantastic. Uh, you don't need to get anything super fancy. I know someone had a Sure SM58, which those typically run, I think like 50 bucks, a, no more than a hundred, but those are real cheap. Get yourself a decent audio interface if you can. An audio interface can probably run about 50 to a hundred bucks, but then just sit down and record the book and it's going to take some time, but eventually what's going to end up happening is you're going to have something that you can put out into the world. Okay, so we're talking about saving money. Can I tell you about how to, how to make some more money by doing audiobooks? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, so this hopefully by the time you and I are done with this interview, it's going to get you jazzed up and ready to go do your audiobook. Because I think right now, in my opinion, audiobooks is on the rise. The sales figures are showing up more and more. And as we're this pandemic is lifting and we're seeing the workforce go back out into the world. There's more people commuting, therefore more people that are consuming podcasts and consuming audiobooks. So let's say you finish up your audiobook, you get it published to a platform called Audiobook Creation Exchange. This is the part that's going to send your eyebrows. So your book is say 10,000 words. We're just going to kind of put that out there. That's going to be roughly a little over of an hour of listening time or what we like to call in the business finished hour. Okay. So with that finished hour, we'll say that book is going to be priced, say, $4.99. That's typically how much it's going to run. Someone purchases it and you're going to get 40% of that revenue. So 40% of $5 is what, roughly two bucks. So you're going to get $2 per. You're like, oh, that's not going to really pay the bills. Why are you so excited about it, Dale? Well, there's so much more to be excited about. Something that's called an a bounty program through Audiobook Creation Exchange. If you share a link to your book, and it's a specific link that they'll give to you inside your ACX dashboard, if you share that through, say, social media, your podcast, your email newsletter, your friends, your family, and if somebody downloads it, and by the way, they're going to get your book for free, and you're probably going, oh, no, 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 I don't want it for free. No, no, it's totally okay. 
because if they download it for free, they're going to become part of an Audible membership and they get a 30-day free trial. I did not stutter on this one. I swear to you, some people are probably like, hang on, he's lost his mind. He said, they're going to get a free 30-day trial of Audible. Yep. And they're also going to get a free audiobook of mine. Yep. And they also get an additional free one. Yep. And if they stay on an additional 30 days, you get a $75 bounty. Okay. I don't know about you. $5 sounds great. And I'll probably get about $2 when it's all said and done. But with a bounty link, you get $75. So for instance, for you, Sarah, when you're doing your podcast, you can always say, hey, check out my latest audiobook called The Authorpreneur. And you're going to go over to xyz.com authorpreneur audiobook. When you download it for free, you get a 30-day free trial. And then all they have to do is just get it for free. And the nice thing is it puts your stuff out into the market builds more awareness. And then if someone stays on, you're going to get rewarded so much more than a $2 paycheck. You're going to get a $75 paycheck. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had heard about the bounty program, but I wasn't really sure how it worked. So to get that $75, they would have to stay on for another 30 days and pay whatever the monthly fee is, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So then if they don't, if they cancel, then I guess you don't get anything. Nope. Yeah, okay. sadly, it's it's one of those instances you don't get anything. And there's ways that you can capitalize on getting people's attention. So one of the things I try to teach a lot of my coaching students is, is if you're going to end up publishing an audiobook, try to have a downloadable PDF accompaniment. And in that accompaniment, you know, you're just going to have something extra in it. It could probably be, I don't know, a checklist for the authorpreneur or the podcastpreneur. And when they download that checklist, you'll have some type of a lead magnet or a bribe or some type of bait that gets people to part ways with their email address to sign up, say, for your email newsletter. And a lot of people might try to tell you that email marketing is dead. It is still very much alive and very much well. In fact, hopefully you don't mind me bloviating for just a bit. Okay, so just found out today, this has actually been over this past week, Facebook Oh, everybody knows about Facebook. Facebook has been quietly rolling out in beta to a number of test business pages, email marketing. Yeah, that's right. Facebook is now getting into the email marketing game and they're integrating into business pages. Do you think Facebook's going to be like, huh, let's go ahead and spend millions of dollars on some infrastructure and, and our employees to just go to a dead resource? No. They're investing millions into this because they see something that could really take off for them and be beneficial to keep people on their platform. So email marketing is very much alive and well. So going back to that downloadable PDF, build out your email newsletter so that way you're able to build your audience, communicate with your audience. And then when you have things like a bounty link, or you have, say, an ebook that's coming out, you're able to communicate that to them and start to build your presence so much quicker when you're working with your community. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, that is. So when you say uh, a PDF, are you talking about like in your audiobook you reference a link or something that they can go to to get Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so you could do that. Um you can uh, send them to a link which I always recommend to do that through something like Audible. Audible actually will put the downloadable PDF inside the library section. 
But here's the problem. If you have that going out to Apple, Apple does not do that. I go and use another platform called Findaway Voices. They publish to over 43 different avenues, including my favorite, one that's been rewarding me very well over the last year, libraries. Libraries will get your downloadable audiobook. And here's the beauty of it is if you're going download it, it's inside the library section of Audible. And someone's like, I didn't get this from Audible. What? I didn't, what? What's going on? I don't know. Whereas kind of like what you're saying, go over to xyz.com to download your complimentary PDF accompaniment to this audiobook. That way, then you can send them over to your area, your website, and then hopefully they download their PDF and they might see some other stuff on your website. Oh, frugalpreneur.com. I'm going to go ahead and check out all this stuff. So Yeah, and I actually don't have frugalpreneur.com. I'm working on that. <laughs> we got to get it. Yeah, we got to get it. And yesterday. It's for sale for like two or three thousand. So oh. I don't know. We'll see. I'll we'll keep checking back on it. Here we go. Uh, so we, we you like talking about pension pennies. Here we go. I am the master of pinching pennies. So before we got connected, everybody, we were kind of talking about how, you know, I'm building the self-publishing with Dale thing. And I brought to your attention that I actually have a second YouTube channel called Live Streaming Tech. I'm not shamelessly plugging it. It just happens to work into this, this story, I promise you. But with Live Streaming Tech, the funny story is my brother, he's a tech head. Like he knows all the nerdy stuff, all the equipment and computer. I just, I, I would say, hey, I need this X, Y, and Z to be done. What do I need to get? And he typically tells me. So the two of us came together and we said, hey, let's go ahead and put together a, a channel. Because I was like, I've got the know-how on building a YouTube following. You've got the tech know-how. Let's go ahead and make this happen. The problem was we went to go look for the domain of livestreamingtech.com. And it was like two or $3,000. The two of us are going, oh, heck no. No, 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 no. So being the cheap guys that we are, or frugal, if we, we want to be a little more PC, we got livestreamingtech.site. Now, it's a little harder for people to remember livestreamingtech.site, but we got ourselves programmed into it. You fast forward some time later, and actually this was about a month ago. I just was curious. I was like, you know what? Maybe I can swing it. I went ahead and looked it up. It was available again livestreamingtech.com became available. So whoever was camping out on that.com, they split. They split and they left it there. So I ended up getting and picking it up for first year for $12.99 and subsequent years is going to be, I think, $15.99 or something like that. So talk about saving some money. So what I would recommend is if you see a .com available and it's you know, it's being pretty much sold at two or $3,000. Keep checking back on it mm. because you just never know. Someone might get sick of hanging on to it and go, eh, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and just get rid of this and they'll let it lapse. And then your domain will be available to you for a reasonable price, not two or $3,000. I haven't checked lately. I should check right now. <laughs> now I'm curious. That's awesome though, that you were able to get it for the regular $12 price. Wow. So then you just changed over. I got a hold of my ever faithful assistant, Ava Fails. Ava is such a sweetheart. She knows how to work WordPress like nobody's business. And all I had to do was, okay, I need you to pretty much redirect live streaming tech.site over to .com. So if anybody types in live streaming tech.site, it automatically redirects to the .com. The really cool thing is we actually had some subdirectories, meaning like live streaming tech.site slash freebie or live streaming tech.site slash book. Well, when she migrated all that stuff over to .com, 
those subdirectories went with it. So if someone goes and types up that subdirectory on the .site, it'll automatically go to the .com as well. So it was, it was really cool. And it was relatively inexpensive for my assistant to go ahead and just get it done because I know that she did it within an hour. So all I had to do was pay her less than an hour of pay in order to get it done. Okay. Yeah. I just checked. Yeah. It's almost 1600. How is that frugal? (laughs) Someone being just an outright jerk. They're just like, it's almost like they're mocking you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, let's see how frugal you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll just keep checking back. I've had a variety of domains over the course of my entrepreneurial journey because I have all these different business ideas and whatever. Well, one domain I got, I was actually, it was preneurpress.com because I was going to publish my books under since they're all blank preneur. And so I bought that and I got it for a buck on one and onecom I don't know if you're familiar with that. And I hadn't really done anything with it. And then out of the blue, someone contacted me wanting to buy it. And so I got... I ended up getting, I think their starting bid was like 200 or something. And then I, and then I asked for, I was like, oh, I'm going to counter at, what did I counter at? Nine hundred, eight or 900? I don't know, something like that. Because I looked up to see what it was worth. And one website said it was worth over a thousand. We ultimately uh, agreed on like five or 600. Something nice. like, yeah. So I was like, well okay. done. You're my hero on, on that. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's awesome. And so every now and then I go and check to see if they've put anything on their website, because I assume it's, you know, a small press that's like basically what I was going to do with it. Yeah, there's nothing on the site. Maybe someone has plans on reselling it. I don't know. But yeah, I, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, they probably just was like, OK, they got they got it for 500. Maybe they'll try to flip it for a thousand. I know there's a lot of domain flippers out there. I heard about it like a long time ago, and it was something that briefly interested me. And then I started digging deeper and I was like, this is boring. I'm like, no, no, there's no way I'd be able to stay with this. Yeah. So after I, you know, I spent a buck, made like five or 600. I was like, and that wasn't even my plan. That's just, it just fell in my lap. I was like, oh, maybe I should start doing this, but (laughs) it's hard to predict what domains might be worth something at some point. (laughs) It, It really is. And I think if you and I had this conversation maybe 10 years ago or longer, we could have been picking up like, say, the name domains. Have you ever looked up your own name, like Sarah.com? Yeah, or or SarahStJohn.com, which is taken. So my my domain is TheSarahStJohn.com, which I feel kind of sounds egotistical. (laughs) And when I was asking a friend about that, I was like, do you think it's okay? And she's like, yeah, it's fine. Because I mean, I could have done like SarahStJohn.net or something like that, but I wanted to the real Sarah St. John. (laughs) Like that other one, it's fake. Well, so, well, thesarahstjohn.com kind of worked because all my social media handles are that because Sarah St. John was taken. So I was like, well, you know, I guess then it can. We need to have a conversation with this other Sarah St. John. She needs to back (laughs) down. All right. (laughs) So you had mentioned you also have a live streaming channel. Can you maybe go into that topic of live streaming or even just YouTube in general, because you have 33,000 subscribers on your self-publishing with Dale YouTube channel, which that blows my mind. I have a frugalpreneur channel. All it is right now is just me turning the audio into an audiogram. So that's that's not that exciting. (laughs) So I only have like nine subscribers and I don't really promote it, but I'm curious, how do you get 33,000 subscribers? Okay, so the very first thing is, is I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a huge favor. Anybody that's listening to this, unless you're driving, 
Okay. You, if you're driving, pull over. All right. And I'm going to get you to do this. You're going to go and get on YouTube and you're going to look up frugalpreneur. You might have to kind of do a little bit of searching because she says she only has nine subscribers. So she might not pull up on first page. You can always just even put the filters to channel. You go to filters, click channel. It should be able to pop up there and you're going to hit subscribe on that one. So that way you can take a look at her on YouTube. So that's one of the easiest ways to do it. What I always just recommend is where attention goes, energy flows. So with this one right here, just it's a simple call to action. Hey, if you're enjoying some of what you're hearing right now, believe it or not, you can actually consume this over on YouTube. It'd be a really big favor to me if you went over to youtube.com slash um, well, as soon as you can get your domain on that, um, <laughs> frugalpreneur and uh, hit the subscribe, ring the bell notification icon. So you don't miss a single one of these podcast episodes. So there you go. There's your, there's your ad <laughs> the, the, that time. Now, when it comes to live streaming tech, that's we're roughly about, I would say somewhere North of 3,500 subscribers. We've been doing it for a little over a year. I essentially show people the joys of online live streaming and what it has done for me. The main thing I wanted to do was be able to showcase my brother's knowledge and skill set. And see, he carries a nine to five job. You know, he he works at a grocery store working his tail off. And sometimes I think to myself, and if his employers are listening to this, this my, my thoughts don't represent his. I just think that it's a waste of talent. The guy is so skilled and so smart at what he does when it comes to technology. And that's why I wanted to go and do this. So we show people how to simply stream online through places like YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Live, and the like. And we try to show them the cheapest cost-effective way of doing it and the simplest way of doing it. So they're not feeling overwhelmed. Right now, more than ever, people are wanting to live stream online. I think that's why we have blown up as far as our reach on the channel. Now, when it comes to growing 33,000 subscribers, you know, sometimes, and it's not me trying to be humble or modest, but I've got a lot of peers in the industry. For instance, Evan Carmichael, a good friend of my wife and mine, if you ever get the opportunity to check out his channel, he has over 2 million subscribers. So when you look at my 33,000, it's kind of like, but I'm happy about that because it's a rather niche topic versus what, say, something Evan has done. A friend of mine, Nick Neman, he has 650,000 subscribers. He shows people how to do things on YouTube. You know, again, not quite as niche as what mine is, but I'm very proud of what I've done. The main thing when it comes to leveraging video and especially YouTube is before you do it, Know who your target audience is, because if you try to create something for everyone, you're going to please no one in the process. So as a, for instance, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sarah, your audience is probably someone who is looking to save a little bit of money, maybe try to build a business without going broke in the process. And for lack of better words, they probably like to bootstrap their way to success. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Okay. So that's essentially, you know, your audience. I think what a lot of people try to do is they go to YouTube and they think they're going to become the next PewDiePie. And I think if you go into it with more realistic expectations, you're going to find that it's going to reward you really well. So I always recommend to people, know your audience and niche down. Okay. Don't niche so far down that it's like underwater cave exploration, doily knitting, nothing crazy like that. 
but niche down enough to where you're not trying to please everybody in the process. Maybe it's you do seated chair exercises for seniors. There's there's a good niche. And it could be something like frugalpreneur. It's being able to be an entrepreneur without going broke in the process. There's so many ways that you can do this, but you, when it comes down to it, a lot of people always ask, okay, what are my best first steps? What should I do? Just do it. It's just that simple. We all have, in a, judging by the fact that you're listening to this, you probably have a mobile device and most likely that mobile device is equipped with a camera and use that camera. If you've got a camera on your laptop or on your computer, use that. If you've got a microphone of some sort, use that. Start. That's the most important thing when it comes to video because my very first video, oh my gosh, it's cringe inducing. You, you won't even be able to find it. I actually purged it off my channel. It was, it was bad. It was horrible. It was on my laptop and I was looking down at the camera. The audio quality was horrible. The, I had no light on me. I was wearing a cutoff t-shirt, neon t-shirt, and I seemed like there was a death in the family the way I was talking. I was like, welcome to self-publishing with uh, Dale. And uh, today we're going to, uh, yeah, it was bad. But the important thing was the fact that I took the first step. And as I keep going, I kept going forward. I studied some of the people that were succeeding on YouTube and I said, okay, what are they doing that I could model from? What can I do? And I'm not saying lift what other people are doing. I got to be me. I got to continue to be me and express myself in a fashion that is fulfilling to me. So I just watch and I take little things like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I spent two hours with my video editor last night. You ready for this? Two hours. And we're not talking like we're palling around. Hey, how's it going? Did you watch wrestling the other night? No, no. We actually talked for two hours about one video, one single video, because we had to sit there and figure out, okay, how are we going to deliver this? How can we do the right type of storytelling? What's the type of thumbnail that we want to do? And how do we want to communicate it with? What's the ideal title that we can put to this? Yeah. It gets nerd level when it comes with us because we're looking at the fact that we're at 33,000. Our goal is to hit 100,000 in the next year. And we're trying to find what's it going to take. And one of the ways it's going to take is being receptive to what the audience wants. How do we need to pivot slightly to open ourselves up to a wider audience? But that's nerd level stuff. If you're just starting into it, don't spend two hours trying to plan a video because at that point, you're probably overthinking it. Are people just finding you searching certain terms or is it more because you have a podcast as well? Is it more you do a call to action on your podcast or email or are you doing sponsored ads on Facebook? Or? No, no sponsored ads. I've done ads through YouTube previously for my course. And I just wasn't happy with the results. And I've I've heard of some people that will drive their viewership up over on YouTube with ads. To me, I just, I don't know, I can't bring myself to doing that. So I actually will give you some specific stats on discovery. And that means how are people discovering it? So right now, over the last 28 days, my traffic source types include YouTube search, makes up 32.7% of it. But by the way, it's it's a little higher than normal lately. And I think it's because of lockdown. The second highest is suggested videos at 27.7%. Now with suggested videos, which it means is you go and you watch a video on YouTube and I pop up over on the right-hand side 
or I become the next in queue to watch. So that means I'm being suggested through other videos. So you could probably look up, say, something about Kindle Direct Publishing. You go over into Amazon KDP's page and you start watching one of the videos. They YouTube then suggests mine. Why do they suggest it? Because I'm a proven commodity in the specific type of niche that I'm in. So they're going to keep recommending. So there might be some other smaller channels. Let's say, Sarah, you have your own. It's about self-publishing. Someone gets done with that. Here comes my suggested video. The other ones include browse features, external and other. I know that one of my top external sources is Google. And Google makes up 73% of my external sources. So that's a long answer and very scientific to tell you that uh, YouTube and Google search is typically where I get a lot of my traffic. And then I just start building it from there in my podcast. Oh, absolutely. In fact, right now I'm actively working on what I call on our way to 100K. And it's my mission to positively impact aspiring authors and current self-published authors in a big way over the next year. In fact, I want to affect 100,000 different aspiring authors and current authors to have a positive impact. And how am I going to do that? They're going to subscribe to my channel. So what I do is I say that probably right before my final closing thoughts of my podcast. Because if I come and I lead with that, people are going to be like, oh, here we go, this guy. I want to deliver value first. So that way they feel like they have some skin in the game. Like they're like, oh, well, you know what? This guy's podcast was pretty good. I'm going to go check him out over on YouTube. People say that podcasts and audiobooks, anything in audio form is great right now because, you know, because people commute to work, which I guess they're not doing a whole lot right now, but starting to. But when they're commuting to work, dishes, laundry, mowing the yard, whatever they might be doing, they can multitask basically and listen to the audio. But with YouTube or with reading a physical book or a TV show, your eyes have to be focusing on just that one thing. So with YouTube, how are you finding it in comparison to podcasting as far as engagement? Should your YouTube videos be a certain length maybe so people don't trail off or close it? Yeah. You see, I think you got the right idea. In fact, actually, you bring up a good point is on YouTube, watch time is king. If you can get someone to watch longer and stay on the platform longer, that's the important thing. You might send somebody over to watch your latest video, but if they deuce out and they leave, YouTube's not too happy and they notice that. The algorithm will notice that. But if you bring them to the platform, they start watching your content and they continue watching other content that you produced or other people's content, YouTube's going to go, hmm, there's something to this, Sarah. She brought somebody to the platform. Well, maybe we should go ahead and just suggest some of her videos out. So that's going to be the thing is, is it's watch time is absolutely king when it comes to YouTube. Now, I'll tell you, it's so much easier to get engagement on a video than it is on a audio podcast. I mean, How many times have you asked for people to leave reviews? By the way, folks, leave a review for her. How hard is that to get people to leave a review? It's like pulling teeth, correct? Yeah. So a lot of times I don't even have that call to action anymore. That's it. I'm asking for you, folks. You're listening to this podcast. If you've got any kind of value out of it, and if you want to go ahead and even if you're like, man, this guy's obnoxious, (laughs) do it in spite of me. But like, she's really cool. But man, this guest. But either way, take some time. 
leave a review for her. It would be so awesome. You know, it's it's tough. It's like pulling teeth to get people to leave reviews. And there's never like a comments feature. But the nice thing is on YouTube, you do have that ability. And it is something else. We've got watch time as king, but there's a few other keys to actually developing what's called relevancy in search engine algorithms. And relevancy is determined on, okay, well, is this going to be relevant to the viewers on this platform? How do we build relevancy? Keep them watching as long as possible. That's number one. Number two is getting engagement. And engagement could be in the form of likes, dislikes, shares, subscribes, and comments, leaving comments. And so what I typically do is try to build something organically into the conversation of a video to where I ask a question, maybe a pertinent question. What do you think? You know, uh, plagiarism is, is more running afoul than ever. What do you think about some of these recent plagiarism scandals. I want to hear from you down inside the comments down below. And that's one of the easiest ways to get comments. Sometimes you're going to strike a nerve with a particular topic that will get it to where you don't even have to ask for it. People are going to tell you their opinion. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, there was this whole fiasco involving an author. Her name was Felina Hopkins and she trademarked the word, you ready for this? Cocky. Yeah. She trademarked the word cocky, and then she went and sent cease and desist to all authors that were using the word cocky in their titles. The publishing world was losing their minds. And so I decided to go ahead and create a video. Didn't even have to ask. It just hundreds of comments were just flooding this particular video in the course of a week. I was like, oh my gosh, I could barely keep up with it. So there's so many things. But what I would recommend is if you're going to be doing videos, you just ask for feedback, ask for comments, finish out with a question of the day or question of the video and get it to where people will start to engage. Now, here's the most important thing here, Sarah. And I want you to do this with your own podcast over on YouTube is if you are going to ask people to leave a comment of some sort, respond to it. and Treat each and every single one of those comments like gold because these people took time out of their day not only to listen to you or watch you in some instances, but they also took the time to thoughtfully put something together. Now, we're going to put the trolls off to the side. We're not going to worry about trolls because those are going to come and the random spam bots that say, go follow my channel or whatever. We're going to put those off to the side. Let's say real people that say, thank you. I really enjoyed this podcast you're going to respond back. But here's the thing is, I'm going to ask that you continue the conversation. Because the one of the greatest ways to build a community and to really get it to where you actually have a raving fan base that's going to share your content out, keep the conversation going. You could they say, maybe, thank you, I enjoyed this. There was a lot of value inside this podcast. Say, so awesome. I really appreciate you taking time to watch and comment. By the way, what did you think about X, Y, and Z? You notice how I finished it out with an open-ended question? I don't try to do a closed-ended question, meaning they give me a yes or no. I try to go open-ended, so that way they volley back. Now, I'm going to say that probably nine times out of ten, you may not hear back from that person, but every now and then, they will hit back a comment, and you can keep this conversation going. And with that conversation going, it's going to be little small triggers to the YouTube algorithm that says, hmm, this is relevant. There's somebody talking about something here. So let's go ahead and push this video out to more people. 
And I think that's one of the things that I've really nailed on my brand. I'm very proud of is you go into any one of my videos on my main channel and you will see tons of comments because they know I will respond to each and every single one of them. And in some instances, I've gotten lazy. I'm not going to lie to you. I will just usually comment back and then leave it, you know, leave it go. But I would say if you really want to grow, then take the time, keep the conversation going. And this sounds kind of obnoxious. Get the last word in. Try to get the last word in every single time. So you keep that conversation going. Eventually it might run out. But by that time, you know, when it's run its course, you already got another video out and you're going to create another comment thread and it's going to be a lot of fun all over again. Yeah, those were good tips. The only comments I've gotten so far, I think it's from the same few people. It, it just says, want to be friends. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? That's weird. Well, so the uh, I want to be friends. So this this is the secret. So thankfully, I, I'm such a nerd when it comes to the YouTube stuff. They're essentially asking you to subscribe for subscribe. Mm. They, they'll subscribe to you if you subscribe to them. Don't do that. Never, 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 ever do subscribe for subscribe. Or some people call it sub for sub. In fact, YouTube has even gotten to the point where they started banning and blocking accounts that would put down sub for sub or subscribe for subscribe or follow for follow. So now these cheeky monkeys are putting in there, want to be friends? Oh, I see. I'll build your house if you build mine. I, <laughs> they're they're being really coy about it. What I would recommend is if you have a YouTube channel that people are saying that, block them, mm, block okay. them, get them off because they're. It's honestly, at the end of the day, it is great to have thirty three thousand subscribers, and I'm super proud of that, and I'm super proud of the fact that. Every single one of these people in the community, I know a lot of them by name, and some of them I consider them some of my closest friends now. But can you imagine if it was 33,000 of people like that just randomly subscribed and didn't go and watch my content? That's the problem is too many people are hung up on the number, says the guy who says he wants to get to 100,000, but you know the mission. But that's the thing is sometimes if you're just going for the vanity metric and not focusing on delivering value, then you're not going to go anywhere far because you can have a ton of subscribers, but unless they're actually consuming your content, it does nobody any good. So if someone's ever saying, want to be friends, block them, block them. Okay. They're only coming on because they want you to subscribe to their channel and they've already subscribed to yours in hopes that you would go ahead and return the favor. But if they're not watching anything, what difference does it make? Because you remember what we said, watch time's king. And if they're not watching, I'd rather them not be a subscriber because they're ruining my metrics. Well, and I'm glad you cleared that up because in a way that kind of makes me relieved because I thought it was more of a inappropriate type of thing. (laughs) Creepy guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I thought. So I've heard mixed things about what I'm doing where you take your audio podcast and then turn it into an audiogram and then put it on YouTube as a full length audio Graham. I've heard some people say, you might as well, doesn't hurt, good to be everywhere. Then I've heard other people say, oh, that messes up the algorithm because people don't come there to listen to stuff. So if they come and they only listen, you know, that once they see that it's just audio that they'll leave and then that messes up the algorithm and YouTube doesn't view your content as worthwhile and stuff. What is your opinion? I think it's false. And that's 
the thing is, I actually have YouTube premium and I listen to quite a bit when I'm working out. So if you've got a podcast on there and I'm interested in it and I find that you deliver enough value, I'll listen to it. It doesn't matter if it's an audiogram. It's building that awareness of it and getting it to where people know that they're going to be getting that. Okay, they're going to be watching The Frugalpreneur. It's going to be an audiogram. They don't really necessarily need to watch it. All they need to do is listen, typically. So it's building the audience expectations. Will it mess up the YouTube algorithm? No, like that's that's mm. not a thing. You know, if someone's not consuming your content, then obviously it's not going to grow presence. So you're at say nine subscribers, then chances are very likely YouTube's kind of said, okay, you haven't built up enough relevancy. You, you have not developed enough confidence in YouTube for them to send more traffic towards your direction. But there are a number of great podcasts on YouTube. I would recommend if you could, and it was so funny you and I were talking about that before we even got connected because I mean, you and I actually are talking via video and it's being recorded through uh, Squadcast. So I said to you, like, get, get your screen capture because here's the cool thing is, you can record this, get the MP3, put it over top of the MP4, upload it to your YouTube channel. And I think there's going to be a lot more audience retention because now people can see the whites of our eyes and there builds more of a no like, and trust factor in you when people can see you and they can see the emotion in your face and how you interact with your guest. So uh, yeah, if you're able to do that, great. If not, Absolutely. I agree with you. Get, get out to as many places as possible because you never know when you're just that one podcast away from you know, hitting pay dirt, getting it to where you become big. Let me give you a good example, actually. An acquaintance of mine inside the podcasting industry as well as on YouTube's name's Viper. I think he spells it with three P's. It's V-Y-P-P-P-E-R. But Viper has been grinding it out for years now. And he talks, he's the man about tech is his, his whole thing. And he's actually had his podcast on for a very, very long time. And here, most recently... He actually was able to reach out to a very large influencer. Her name's iJustine. And iJustine, I think, millions of, of subscribers. He got her on there and it took off his channel. And the one thing is he did it with his podcast. So people could hear the audio version, but he did the visual aspect. Because he did the visual aspect, iJustine's audience feel a bit more invested. So rather than them going and listening, they can go and watch and consume the content. So that's why I recommend if you can, get out as wide as you can for sure. But also if you can think about the visual medium of the podcast, then you might be able to do it. Another great example, Everybody knows who this is. I mean, he's the biggest podcaster right now, Joe Rogan. The Joe Rogan experience is gigantic. And his channel, he's got two of them. He's got the Joe Rogan experience as well as his clips channel. It's all visual. So if you can, try to tap into that. But I don't want to overwhelm you, Sarah, with all these options. The most important thing that you've done is taken a step forward. And rather than being hamstrung by the fact that, oh, I don't have the visual medium of things, I would say, do what you can do right now, even if it is a bit imperfect, because at least you're doing it versus those other ones that are sitting there going, well, that doesn't work. You're ruining the YouTube algorithm. No, get get off your righteous, you know, your self-righteousness. You know, you're doing it. And that's the most important thing. And in due time, when you're ready, you're going to cross that bridge and you're going to take that step. And then you'll be able to go, I did it. 
Yeah, and I, I'm wondering if it's the whole, you know, like you said, watch time is king. So if someone's watching, well, they think it's going to be a video, but then it's audio and they're like, eh, and then they leave, you know, a few seconds in when it's an hour long thing that doesn't maybe look good to YouTube. I don't know. But when you talked about watch time being king, do you mean in the sense of total length time, like the longer your video, the better? Or do you mean the longer someone watches your video regardless of length? Some people think it's percentage watch. It's actual total time. But that's not to say though, that there are some channels that have minute and a half long content. So one of my favorite ones He's a, a comedian. His name's uh, Caleb City. Caleb City, all of his videos are a minute, minute and a half long. They're just short gags, but he gets millions of views. It's how long can you keep people on the platform watching? A total watch time session. Obviously, the more they consume your content, the more it aids in building relevancy for your content. But in the same instance, if you keep them on the platform, that's at least a little bit of relevancy because YouTube goes, oh, Sarah brought them to the platform and they continued to watch. So it's not necessarily the percentage of the video that sh- that's being watched. It's how long are they staying on the platform consuming the content that's the most important. So if you've got, let's say, an hour-long video and someone watches five minutes, but then you've got a five-minute video and someone watches five minutes, five minutes is five minutes. Although... They're going to look over at that one video that says five minutes and they've stayed on for 100% of the time. There's probably some relevance to this. They might end up driving traffic. There's so many variables when it comes down to this. It's going to take experimentation on your part. A sweet spot, and this is something that was shared with some insiders in the video content creation. I discovered this a couple years ago at VidSummit. Daryl Eaves, an insider in the business, said there's a kind of a sweet spot. They want to see you keeping people on a video from about seven to 16 minutes at a time. If you can keep someone on for seven to 16 minutes, that's going to do you so much better than trying to keep them on for say a half minute or a minute and such. So what I would say is when we get disconnected here, go into your YouTube account and I want you to go in and see what your average watch time or average view duration is for your channel, because that's going to tell you maybe where your sticking point is. So let's say, for instance, I can actually open up my stats right now, and I have no shame in sharing this. My average view duration for the past 28 days is five minutes, five seconds. Previous period was five minutes, 13 seconds. So there's a little bit of an ebb and flow and it always will be. I think I've gotten up to seven minutes at a time because I was doing a lot of live streams at that time. I've backed off on some of my live streams on there. And so I think that's why some of my average view durations dropped down. So take a look at that average view duration for your channel over the last 28 days and it'll tell you something. Well, and I imagine, let's say your videos are five minutes but someone watches 20 of them, like they finish one, they're like, oh, that's so good. Let me watch another. They watch 20 of them. So that would be over an hour versus watching just one video. That's one or two hours. I imagine they would probably prefer the 20 videos at five minutes each. They like to see the binge watching for sure. Mm-hmm. When they're they're binge watching, again, look at the total overall time. And the nice thing is if they've binge watched all your stuff, in your stuff specifically, that's building relevance for your channel. They really love that. So I I love it when I see comments from one person in a single day on like 12 videos. I get a kick out of that. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I drop a heart on them. I'm like, man, you've been watching my stuff today, haven't you? Like, I've been watching, I'm going to watch all your videos. I was like, no, don't do that. That's that's over 450 videos. You're going to be here for the next few weeks. 
<laughs> yeah, binge watch on YouTube instead of Netflix. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. YouTube. Uh, YouTube and chill. Uh, that just doesn't work. Sorry, it doesn't sound as good. <laughs> you could probably put that on a shirt. You should do that. You should put it on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I'm planning on record. You know, audio or video recording podcasts like we had talked about before recording. So that's one thing I'm thinking about doing. And then also I was thinking of doing like tutorial videos on different mm. tools and resources that I use, especially cheap or free ones and just walk through, which those aren't going to take very long. But yeah, that, that's really the only things right now that I can think of doing. Do those do pretty well? Tutorials? Very, very, very well. It will also get it to where It'll bring more eyeballs into your brand versus what you're doing right now. Obviously, it's not bringing as much as you would probably want to. But with the tutorial, something that's a bit more short form and something people are searching for can do you really well. And especially, and this is where you really got to be very mindful of, okay, what's going to be your end, end game? What do you want to get out of this? If you're doing, say, for instance, uh, a review of a product, why are you reviewing it? Okay. If you're just reviewing it because you're like, yay, people are going to find it. I would recommend that you monetize it. So find products that you know, like, and trust, and you can get behind and push and become part of their affiliate marketing program. And affiliate marketing works like this. You like a product, you contact the company. And whenever you send traffic over towards the direction, you get a small percentage of every single one of the sales. For instance, one of my biggest videos on my channel is the Grammarly review video. And I recommend the product. I talk about the pros and cons of it. When somebody goes and gets the free version, I get a little bit of money. When somebody gets the premium version, I get even more money. And the nice thing is, is that gets it to where I'm not just putting out a review video for review's sake. I'm able to monetize that. And you can do that, whether you are part of the YouTube partner program or brand new to the YouTube platform. And I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. Just make sure that you fully disclose your affiliate relationship because there's some FCC guidelines if you're not telling people, you know, it's like, yeah, go to that link. I don't <laughs> make any money from that. But, you know, you got to very, very much fully disclose it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, an affiliate for a lot of different products and services. So that would be the plan. So I guess just in the description, I need to do an affiliate disclaimer and then do a pretty link, I guess like my website slash whatever the product is, ideally versus some kind of long, you know, whatever the link is they give you probably wouldn't be recommended. Turn it into a, a right. It's something that they can trust. Also remember this. If you end up doing a really long super URL, YouTube will automatically truncate it, meaning that it'll, it'll shorten it down. It'll do a period, period, period after a bit. So don't be too afraid of that. So for instance, if you happen to be sharing an Amazon Associates link, it's probably best you leave the Amazon Associates thing up there because then someone sees the amazon.com link and they're going to go, oh, versus let's just say, for instance, I'm Joe Jabroni, joejabroni.com. I don't know who this guy is. I just watched his video. I'm not going to click that link. It might go over to something else. So if you have a website that is trustworthy, like an Amazon, put that on there instead of a pretty link because okay. they're going to probably click on that. Whereas some people are a little leery and, and it, can we blame them? I mean, there's a lot of sharks out there that are trying to steal our information, steal our credit cards, steal our money, steal our identity. So if you can get away with putting the original affiliate link, I would recommend it when you can, unless you are building a big enough brand, like people know who you are. But I always tell people, create videos, 
for not your subscribers sometimes. It's a good idea to speak to your subscribers and build that community, but create videos with the intent of meeting brand new people. Go into the expectation that they don't know who you are. They don't know if they can trust you. They don't know if they like you right now. So if you can, like, think about it. But, you know, you could put your pretty link. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, actually, when you become part of the YouTube Partner Program, you can actually have an associated website. So eventually, let's say, for instance, you do have frugalpreneur.com. You can associate that with your YouTube account, and then you can send them out through elements like your card, and you can send them out through things like your end screen. And let's say you have a product you want to send somebody to on, I don't know, We'll say over on Amazon, just as an example, we can always be frugalpreneur.com slash book. And it goes over to your book. But that's unfortunately more for the YouTube partner program. You have to have 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch time hours within the course of a year. Sounds like a lot, but I promise you that if you chip away at it slowly but surely, you will get it. Well, I appreciate your time. The one last question I have is about live streaming. What would you recommend... What tool? I know there's StreamYard, Restream. There's a few different ones. Which one do you use and recommend? I'm going to have to sound like a complete shill when I say this because they're going to be sponsors for the uh, channel here in August. But I'm saying this not being paid um, off the clock and saying this Restream. Hmm. Restream actually has a great software. They just developed an in-browser live streaming tool. And I get behind them 100%. Now, if I were to recommend anything else beyond that, StreamYard's another one. Now, if you are looking real intricate, so if you go over and you watch my YouTube channel, you're going to see like a lot of overlays and I have like a carousel on one of those things. You're going to need to go more in depth with other programs out there. They're, they're called encoders and there's one that's called OBS and another one that's called Streamlabs OBS. I've got full videos over at livestreamingtech.com. You can get full information about how to use those type of things. But if you really are like, hey, I just want to start live streaming right now, go over to restream.io. Restream does some great stuff. They have a free offering available to you. StreamYard, same thing. Okay, awesome. Yeah, because I couldn't decide between the two because I'm I'm thinking about doing some live stream as well. I appreciate your time. And was there anything else that you wanted to go over that we hadn't yet. Oh man, I feel like we covered a lot in a course <laughs> I of an hour. Uh, I, I would do say too. <laughs> the, the best way to kind of get a hold of me at this point is if you want to get in touch with me, selfpublishingwithdale.com. Uh, again, that's selfpublishingwithdale.com. You'll be able to get all the information about my YouTube channel, podcast, and everything else in between. And you have some free courses on there as well. I'll also have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Dale. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And to the day that we're recording this is July 4th. So happy 4th of July. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me on. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash Slack. See you on the inside.